Welcome to the More Like Podcast with me, Jackie. This is a place for us to uncover our truth and learn from each other's similarities and figure out ways to celebrate what makes us different. Get ready to challenge yourself to see how things in life and the people who are in it are more alike than you may think. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the More Like Podcast. My name is Jackie, and I am your host of this thing. Um, I am so happy you're here. If you are new to the podcast, I started this podcast back in 2020 um, after a lot of nudging from like 2015, then again in 2018, and here I am. Um, it's been a process trying to navigate how to be a full-time human, full-time grad student, now full-time intern, and putting out episodes every single week. So I have managed to get a couple of episodes out last week, and this week is something that is so special and been a couple of months in the making. Um, you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. I found Scout through a podcast that I love that her and her sister Maddie have called OK Sis. And I just really resonated with Scout and not only her relationship with her sister, as you guys know, my, me and my sister Alex were very different, but just in Scout's perspective and view of the world, um, Scout is incredibly insightful and has such a wonderful lenses in which she views the world. Um, Scout is... Scout Sobel is the founder of Scout's Agency. So this is like a little bit about her. Um, she's the co-host of the popular podcast, OK Sis, which I mentioned before. She is also the host of Scout Podcast. She's a trailblazer in media industry for utilizing podcasts as a powerful form of public relations. Um, after starting OK Sis with focus of female guests, Scout fell in love with spreading women's stories and identified the rising popularity and influence of podcasting. She started Scout's agency with the emphasis of podcast PR for women entrepreneurs, podcasters, and brands. Scout has also lived with bipolar disorder within the last 15 for the last 15 years. She was once unable to function in society, but after finding entrepreneurship and taking radical responsibility over her emotions, she is now able to live a life of purpose. Um, this week, we talk all about her debut book, The Emotional Entrepreneur, which provides the mindset and emotional tools she has learned from managing her mental illness that have helped her succeed in business. So not only do we talk about all of this in the, this episode of More Like but we also talk about when she realized, um, you know, reframing her identity with mental illness, how she's learned to advocate and honor for herself, um, stepping into her spiritual side. I know this last year has been really transformative for her, so she shares so much amazing insight. You know, we love self-reflection here at More Like. Um, this idea of being an, an emotional entrepreneur and how business is not only professional, but it's also incredibly personal um scout shares you know the ways that she feels we are more alike and how she, like her one takeaway if all you listen to is this episode um what you can take away from learning from her learning from me and learning from this conversation that we share together i know you guys will absolutely love scout um we get a little bit woo woo in this but honestly it just sounds like seems like two friends 
um, having a really vulnerable conversation. Um, we go deep. Both of us are very comfortable in the deep end of things, and you guys will hear that right away as we kind of jump right in. So I hope you guys love getting to know Scout, the emotional entrepreneur. We talk all things business, emotions, mental health, and just staying grounded through it all. So I can't wait for you guys to um, listen to the episode. Be sure to rate and subscribe if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend if you think this is something that would benefit them. And be sure to take a picture, screenshot it, tag Scout Sobel and me. Um, We would love to hear what you guys think about this episode. And again, Scout, congratulations. And I hope you have the best launch week. Have a great rest of your week, sweet friends. And I will see you on the other side. Scout, I guess we'll just go ahead and hop right in. I see you have your tea. You're nice and cozy, and I appreciate you dealing with all the mess. I like tried to find a place in my husband's. We're currently at my in-laws' house because we're in the process of moving. So I'm like surrounded by boxes. And I almost told Danielle, I was almost gonna be like, I think that we need to reschedule because I was feeling like so just out of sort. You know how sometimes when you're just like moving and life is kind of crazy, you're like, I'm not settled, I don't feel grounded, but I don't know. I think there's a benefit of like pushing yourself and really trying to be like, okay, Jackie, is it that you're not settled or is it that you're scared and worried that it's going to impact you? So I'm so happy that you're here in the midst of all this craziness. Well, I'm in Los Angeles and my stepsister's in town and my other stepsister is in between apartments too. So she's here and I'm visiting, I'm sleeping on the couch. So we've got like six people working from home. I'm in my stepsister's room. I kicked her out so I can take this. So I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, right? Like sometimes you just have to kind of pave a way to still make time for the things that matter, even when it's really, really hard and chaotic. And um, sometimes these are the things that end up grounding you the most, right? Yeah. Like actually yeah. holding on to the anchors. Every time that you don't want to do something and then you do, you usually feel better afterwards. It's like life is like going to the gym. You know what I mean? God, I know. David and I always talk about kind of like if we're taking stock, which David's my husband, I'm like taking stock of the day and I'm like, okay, this is something I really don't want to do. And we look at each other and we're like, it probably means this is the most important thing that we need to get done or should try or even just moving our mark like a little bit towards that thing always ends up feeling a lot better. A hundred percent. I'm with you there. Well, I'm so excited, and you kind of touched a little bit on how you're doing, and um, for those of you guys who are new to the podcast, this is the More Like Podcast, and I'm your host, Jackie, and I am here with Scout today, and um, we're just going to kind of talk all about mental health, spirituality, and Scout's new book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. I'm so excited. She also co-hosts with her sister, OK Sis, one of my personal favorite podcasts. She also has a podcast of her own, um, and we're going to kind of just dive into everything. Um, But before we do any of that, Scout, I do just kind of want to ask, how are you doing? You know what? I'm doing okay. You know, spirits, inspiration levels are high. Physically, I am coming off the worst PMS I've ever had. Like literally, I don't, I don't know what happened to my body this week. It just was being a hormonal raging bitch. And um, (laughs) you know, grace for her, love for her, but it was, it was difficult. Whenever I'm physically challenged, I find that my mental health can go a little bit. So, um, right now I am in Los Angeles. I drove up here early, so I am a little bit tired. As I mentioned, there's a full house here. 
well, I think physically I've, I felt better, but mentally um, sharp, ready to go at it, excited for what I'm doing. Um, I try not to let, I try to view my, I suppose, I suppose my mood and my life in so many different facets, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, and just because one area is suffering doesn't mean the whole ship needs to go down. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because I think so much of our life, especially like in the wellness space, we're kind of taught to like really focus as ourselves as individual bodies and like compartmentalize. You just talked about so many different things that make up one body and one being and your mind is feeling sharp, your mental capacity, you're feeling creative, you're feeling juicy, you're feeling energetic. But then your body is like, hold on, we still need to pump the brakes. Like, let's take a moment. Let's do some breathing. Let's ground ourselves so that your physical body can kind of match up and coexist well or we talk a lot about it in my in therapy with my therapist like embody like what your brain is trying to tell you to it's hard Uh, embodiment is such an interesting practice and it's something I'm getting so into it's something that I was actually really afraid of for a really long time because I live with a mental illness I'm bipolar and so most of my life experiences have been filtered through my brain And, you know, a lot of my psychosis and my paranoia that have come with my disorder have been physical threats that are not there. So men following me home, perceived men following me home, thinking men were under my bed and my closet, et cetera. And so my body has always felt like this kind of scary place to live. I remember being 17 and my boyfriend at the time, my high school boyfriend, who was the sweetest thing in the world, the definition of a good guy, healthy relationship there came a point where it was hard for him to even hug me without me freaking out because my mind had convinced my body that it was unsafe to be here. Mm-hmm. And so as I've emotionally healed and emotionally matured and done all of the things that we all have to do to get over the traumas of our lives, the next step is really getting into an embodiment practice and feeling safe within my body, not only feeling safe within my body, but knowing that my body is not a current to shut off but rather this incredible vessel of wisdom. I went off birth control and meds last year, and I'm having this complete new dance with my body. I've never had a cycle basically my whole life since I was put on birth control at 15. And now I'm really understanding the physical changes in my body depending on my monthly cycle or where I'm at in my monthly cycle, as well as just listening to her, developing the relationship with her. How do I talk to her? So it's been such a beautiful next evolution of, of my mental health, you know, dancing like crazy. When I'm angry, I put on the song, I don't fuck with you. And I just, <laughs> I just like pound my wrists and like jump up and down and feel it throughout my body. And it's been such a great way to integrate emotions and then release them. It's yep. just, there's something about moving energy in the body that works. No, absolutely. It's funny that you're talking about this idea of embodiment. It's like a big, huge thing that, again, like how I mentioned, I've been working on a lot in therapy. I would tell my therapist, I know these things cognitively. I know it's going to be okay. I know I'm safe. I know I'm safe in my body, but physically, like in my soul, it's hard to feel. And he's like, that's what takes time. He's like, there's a disconnect between the mental and the spirit and the physical. And he's like, that's the hardest part. He's like, because for someone who's experienced trauma, same to you, same as me, like, your body remembers those things Mm -hmm. and any uptick in cortisol, any uptick in stress, your body goes into fight, flight, or fawn and it goes back into its old patterns. And it's almost like you were talking about 
viewing the world through this lens, you have to rewrite those stories. You have to have those types of experiences and remember those spiritual practices that ground you and bring you back to earth so that then the stories change. And then when that happens again, your body's like, oh wait, I remember that one time that we did that thing and it's no longer scary. I don't have to feel paranoid. I don't have to feel stressed. I don't have to feel like my friends are mad at me, whatever it is for whoever's listening, because you now have a new script. You're not just playing and fulfilling that same script that we've done for so many years because of trauma, which it happens, it's nobody's fault, right? But I'm reading right now, um, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm, I've heard, I need to read that book. It is so fascinating. And the way that he does it, um, it's very, I mean, it's very scientific, but it's very approachable. So it's not for someone who like, isn't necessarily doctoral level, but people that have experienced trauma, you read it and you're like, feel so seen and you're like this is a lot of what's going on physically in my body and I think people without trauma which I think everybody has big or little because again it goes back to those stories and those narratives um you really just have a deeper understanding and empathy for yourself and those around you who are dealing with these things that not only cause emotional pain but this physical discongruence as well so yeah it's interesting oh so hello you're my girl you're my I know. Sorry, everybody's probably like, oh my God. (laughs) No, this is this is my jam, and you know it's my jam. You listen to Kate says. Um and I I like to think of it as like muscle memory and chemical memory in the brain. So our body just does what it knows to do, how to respond to triggers, how to respond to this. To keep us safe. Yeah, to keep us safe. My brain was pumping out chemicals that I then became addicted to those chemicals, so they kept getting pumped out of me. But we have the ability with muscle memory, with neuroplasticity, et cetera, to rechange that response. And then once you do, your body reacts completely differently. You know, I was thinking a limiting belief. People say if you just repeat a story to yourself or a mantra to yourself or a positive affirmation to yourself that eventually you'll believe it. That sounds so simplistic. But when you think about how the limiting belief got there in the first place, it's because you told it to yourself over and over again at one point in your life. So if you apply that same logic to how you got fucked up in the first place, you can use that exact same method to heal and create new narratives for yourself. I yeah. did it with, um, I used to feel I am unsafe in my emotions. That was like a belief. It was a core belief. It was what I believed about my emotions. They were out to get me. They were going to ruin my life, etc. And I just started saying to myself, I am safe in my emotions. Every time I felt something uncomfortable, I would say it over and over and over and over again. I wrote it on a post-it note and put it on my bathroom uh, mirror. It was the background of my phone. I mean, I was journaling it over and over again. And to be honest, three months later, after saying it every day over and over and over and over and over again, I started to believe it. And now it's a belief. Like, it's just a new core belief of mine that I am safe in my emotions. It's crazy. I think, too, because, like, that's another way of you kind of taking – responsibility and accountability of like you are capable you are powerful you can have some sort of control especially when we feel out of control it's another thing I talk a lot about in therapy and a lot in this podcast is like so many times in my emotions I feel so out of control I feel like I can't handle it and I grew up with an aunt and uncle on my maternal side that both have bipolar 2 as well and so I grew up around a lot of 
delusions, hallucinations, um, not so much psychosomatic symptoms, but you know, a lot of like really intense things when you're young and my mom grew up around all of that. And so I've really started tapping into even just saying out loud with my therapist that I have a fear around being like, I just feel like I'm emotionally unhinged. You know what I mean? And he's like, well, what does that mean? You know, he gets deeper. He's like, what does that mean to you? And it all comes back to just these stories that someone said one time or someone didn't say that I then latched onto of like, I was too much. I'm emotionally fragile. I'm the sensitive one. And then I start realizing and taking new ownership of like, those are actually the things that make me perceptive, that make me intuitive, that make me loving and kind and compassionate, whether I have a mental disability or not. Um, it's not necessarily something to fear because I'm capable. I'm capable of doing it. And for the last 28 years of my life, my body's done a pretty good job at keeping me safe so far. So that's a blessing in and of itself too. Oh, you're so beautiful. (laughs) You're sweet. No, but it was like a huge draw whenever I started listening to OK Sis, which your dynamic is, I don't know if people tell you this all the time, but your dynamic is so incredibly hilarious and it reminds me so much of me and my sister as well. My sister's pragmatic, practical, goal-oriented. I'm definitely more of, and she's the older one, so like if I have someone, if I need to make a decision, I'll call my sister Alex and be like, what do you think? Because she's always really logical. I'm a highly sensitive person and so I'm always like, learning how to navigate, I guess, other people. But again, learning more how to navigate myself is more important. And those are where the best decisions come from. But um, I was so fascinated with just your journey, especially over this last year. I think that I've seen a huge shift in you or I've heard a huge shift in you. Um, And I don't know if you'd feel comfortable talking about that. Like, when did you start feeling different? I mean, I know that you've been diagnosed with bipolar since you were 15, right? That's when you got your official diagnosis. So I had my first depressive episode at 14, but I was officially diagnosed at 20. Okay. Yeah. And so when did you always kind of feel like different from your peers and friends or that you viewed the world differently? And I know that this kind of taps into something else you like to talk about of like, you used to think you were special and so deep and so dark. And that's kind of a narrative you're moving away from. But I don't know. I think people that feel deeply view the world and they're like, wow, I don't think other people experience life this way. I talk to my husband about that all the time. He's like, no, they don't. Um, And it's something that I feel like can feel shameful when you're in it because you're just not normal. But what is normal? So yeah, I'm just curious. um, Have you always kind of felt that way? And how did you kind of move through that? Yeah, you know, it's it is a shadow of mine that I think I'm different and special and quote unquote more emotionally in tune and aware than other people and feel more deeply and I've been a martyr in that sense. So oh, same. I am, <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how to rewrite that narrative for myself and talk about it in a different way just because I find that I am at my worst when I think I'm separate from other people. That's when my ego comes into play. That's when I think I'm better than people. That's when I think I'm, um, you know, suffered more than others, quote unquote, which I know a lot of people feel and it's a total normal emotion and it's what the ego does to keep me safe and keep me separate. But I'm trying my hardest that whenever I feel either better than or worse than somebody else, I know that's my ego and that's me separating from the collective and me placing judgments on things that are either good or bad when it's really such a spectrum. So, um, 
I, I, I don't yet have the language around that. So for the sake of this conversation, I will say this is when I knew that something that I would have to walk down a path that was different from the conventional linear path that my peers had to walk down. Um, I, you know, I start my story on these podcasts and writing in my book. Um, I start the book actually um, with the very beginning or quote unquote, the beginning is when I was 14, but it really, really does go back to being very, very young. I, when I was four, I had a reoccurring dream that I was being raped by an older man. We don't know how this got into my head. And from there, I also, another earliest memory is my first experience with anxiety where a teacher yelled at me because she thought I did something, even though it was the guy next to me, the kid next Mm -hmm. to me. And I remember I was in kindergarten feeling that anxiety for four days. It wouldn't go away. And I didn't know what was happening to my body. I was so confused, but I didn't tell anybody about it because it was so intense that I thought something was wrong. And I was very ashamed of it. And also you've just gotten in trouble, right? Like you've just gotten in trouble. So why are you going to share? You're like, oh my God, anything to like not get in trouble again. And that's probably where my problem with authority came from, literally that exact moment at the age of four or five. Um, But I had a lot of, you know, I I wanted to, I isolated a lot in elementary school. I didn't want to go to camp. I didn't want to socialize. I wanted to be in my room alone, reading and writing. And I would fight my mom in the morning physically to get me dressed for school. I would throw fits to not go. And so, you know, when looking back, I see the inner workings of someone who was anxious, who wanted to socially isolate, et cetera. Um, when I was 14 and all of this happened, I think it was obvious because nobody that I talked to understood what I was trying to communicate to them. Um, all my friends were very supportive. I, I wasn't shamed for going to therapy. Everybody knew I was going to therapy. I come from a really, really tight-knit Jewish community. There was 28 kids in my graduating class. There's no secrets. But it was very, very apparent. Um, you know, my friends would joke and be like, oh, well, Scout should just go in, a, in the corner and write a poem and cry. And, like, that sounds really rude. And, and there was a hint to have rudeness, but it was out of love. They were mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to talk about who I was in a way that made sense to them. And so I always knew that I had different ways of thinking that were against the grain. So I remember being 17 and telling my mom or being in high school and only putting my effort towards classes that I that lit up my soul. So physics didn't do it for me. Uh, statistics didn't do it for me. Geometry didn't do it for me. And so I floated by at the bare minimum. My goal was to get an 80% in all those classes. And then the ones that I love, I applied myself so hard and I did so much and I threw my heart into it. I didn't understand this idea that I needed to be perfect in all areas of my life because I didn't believe that those areas in my life actually served my bottom line and my purpose. And so I wasn't going to waste time. I just wasn't. I would skip class. I would go read and write at a coffee shop instead of going to uh, physics. And I think in that, I remember crying to my mom and saying, I just don't, I just don't feel comfortable that a college is going to grade me on a number scale. It just doesn't, that's just not who I am. That's not how I express myself. That's not a way that really, you know, sums me up even, even a little bit because I was someone who was very strategic with their time as a young kid. I just only wanted to do things that lit me up and moved me forward. And so there was a lot, there was a big storm of things, you know, Mm self-harming in high school and isolating and going to therapy and rebelling against the academic system that, really kind of paint the picture of someone who was questioning life, going against authority, as well as not knowing what to do with really, really deep emotions. So, you know, I knew, I really knew in eighth grade that there was something 
I don't want to say different, but um, that there were things that I couldn't relate. I, I didn't have peers to relate to when some of my emotional experiences, which in turn made me feel very lonely, which in turn did not give me the tools to adequately cope, which in turn ended up combusting and ruining my early 20s when I had to drop out of college and go to outpatient and inpatient. So um, yeah, I say this kind of hesitantly just because I am trying to walk away from that narrative and just be real and say say the reality that um, I definitely did look at my world very differently from, from most of my friends. And I believe I still do. And it served me because I followed, I followed my soul. I've never cared what people thought. I didn't care that all my friends were getting to, into Ivy League schools and I went to community college. I didn't care that my parents were upset that they spent all this money on private school. And I was going to community college because I knew that what I gained from that school was not a GPA, but rather a sense of community, a sense of what it means to be a good person. I had really great relationships with the teachers that I loved and respected and the subjects that I did. And so I would beg to say that I actually took more out of that school than most people did who got into Harvard. So I just had a different way of measuring um, alignment and purpose and where I should place my attention to. I think it's so interesting because as you kind of shift away from this narrative and I, I appreciate you answering the question and being honest and so forthcoming because I do think it's evolution and I do think we move from the way that we used to think towards new ways of thinking. But I don't know when you're telling me all this and, you know, I can see your body language and I can see your eyes and how you're kind of talking about it and even reliving it. I don't know. To me, you sound already like have been so autonomous from such a young age. You've really had a was. Yeah. I really like, wasn't. And even even the entrepreneurial side of me, like my book, Emotional Entrepreneur, is mm-hmm. the two sides of me. I remember being 14 and wanting a job so badly because I wanted my own money. I just wanted my own money. I wanted to be autonomous. I wanted to be an independent person. And my parents would drive me to job app, like to submit job applications. But then when they realized that they would have to drive me to and from work, they said, <laughs> forget about it. We're already driving you to school every day. I'm not driving you to and from work. So I couldn't get a job until I was older. But I, I wanted one. Like I wanted I wanted my own money. I wanted to work for it. I when I was little, I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to work. That's so funny. I just think it's so interesting because for someone like me who I have, I do kind of feel like I view the world in another type of way that just had always felt hard to, I guess, connect, even though seemingly the person I put forward was someone who connected with so many people. And again, I do think it's a gift, but I don't know. I think finding like-minded people didn't necessarily come so natural to me. I always worried. I always worried if my friends were getting into Ivy Leagues and I wasn't. Like, so that's something that's so attractive to me about you is that you've always been so comfortable and like knowing what served you. And I can only imagine in your career and as you moved into deciding to do OKSIS, deciding to do Scouts Agency, all these things, you never felt worried about it. Like you never thought, oh, like what are people going to think? People are going to think I'm like full of myself or people are going to think I'm not humble. You've never had, I would assume you don't have those thoughts. And I think that's so helpful as you embark on things, because if you don't believe in yourself, in any capacity that you have, with or without mental illness, with or without a degree, with or without whatever, you can insert anything, then how are you ever going to get people to trust you, right? Yeah. And, you know, now the human part of me is that, you know, okay, says is 
is really me with my sister. It's yeah. not just me. I think mm-hmm. you can see a totally different scout when you're talking to me here that I am on OKSIS. And OKSIS is kind of the platform that blew up the biggest. And so yeah. sometimes I think about it. I'm like, whoa, my brand on the internet is not my brand, but it's actually the person that I'm with with my sister. And I, what I think attracts people so much to OKSIS is that it is so real and raw. And I hate fucking saying that. I know. (laughs) But it is, there's almost this no censorship with me and Matt. And it's the energy that you feel that it's just potently sisters having a good time. And I've, it has been my biggest teacher because I am so silly on OKSIS and I'm so outrageous and I put up with Matt's shenanigans and I'm on the (laughs) fucking TikTok doing embarrassing shit every day. And it's, forced me to really step outside of my comfort zone and, and, and look at myself in a new way from that moody, emotional, poetic, liberal arts kind of girl who wears Doc Martens and get tattoos to the girl who's silly and funny with her sister. It's just such a different identity shift. And, and in that, I've been able to beautifully, you know, as we started this conversation saying there's mental, there's emotional, there's spiritual, there's physical. You also have that in your personality. So there's professional me, there's, there's creative me, there's business me, there's you know, romantic me, there's sensual me, there's so many different sides of me. And okay, sis has brought out one that has been dormant for too long. And my sister allows me the space to play in that. And it does make me uncomfortable. Sometimes it stretches my comfortability, my comfort zone for sure. Um, But if somebody doesn't like my decisions or my choices, um, you know, it's, it's a big fucking no for me. I, yeah. I, it's not even, it's truly not even, I don't even feel contempt for the person. I don't even feel anger towards the person. It's just more, you know, no one can impose a belief system on me or no one can impose a way of life on me that is not congruent with my soul. My bipolar will flare up immediately. I have the mm. best compass in the world. I say that my bipolar is my biggest gift because if I'm engaging in something that's out of alignment, whether it's a new employee or a new revenue stream or, you know, a a podcast episode, if it's out of alignment, I flare up internally. My world flares up and I know and I can understand my cues enough to then course correct and change course and move on quite quickly. I will never wake up at the age of 40 and wonder where my life went. My bipolar will never allow me to live probably more than a month out of alignment. And that's pushing it. I would say two weeks before I get the major, major mental illness cues um, that something's wrong. But I've also just exhibited this behavior. You know, I would love to read this passage of my book, which I don't really have um, bookmarks, but I know what chapter it is. So give me a second, because I think it's, I think it's a different way to look at things, which I've always looked at things. Um, Let me see, where is it? Um, no. Oh, here it is. Okay. Page 55. I think this is the attitude I've always, I've always given. So I give examples of three different spiritual teachers that I follow because people Mm -hmm. say, who am I to do any of this? Right? So I give example of three spiritual teachers that I follow. And I said, thank God for them because, oh, thank God for them all. Because if one of them looked at the market looked at the books they had already been published and the Instagrams that had already been started, one of them might not have even begun. And that would have robbed the world of their gifts, healing, and inspiration. It would have robbed me from the individual perspectives they each bring, which have colored my life with purpose and connection. It would have robbed me of the lessons I learned from them and have implemented into my daily life for the better. If they didn't rob this world of their gifts, who are you to consider such a route? 
Who are you to say your voice does not matter? That others are already doing this? Who are you to say that the exact way you want to do things is not valid? Who are you to say that you are a fraud when you, as a living human being, have a collection of experiences, emotions, traumas, and joys that, if told, will speak to another member of the collective? Do not think that you are special. You are like all of us. You also have a voice, a point of view, and a perspective that we are waiting for you to share. Stand deep into your personal power when building your product, course, or podcast, because it is in that power that your business will succeed. I, I think. That. I think so many people ask, who am I to do this? And my question is, you think you're that fucking special that you're exempt from having a, a point of view and a voice? It's who are you not to, truly? Who are you not to? What, what martyr victimhood story are you playing out, dude? You know, and it's, it's a thing I've really never truly understood because I've never understood why I shouldn't be in the arena. Yeah. <laughs> why, I sh- why that shouldn't be me. That's never occurred to me that, that I wasn't special enough or unique enough or, or just, you know, human enough. It's that we Which, are those things. Yeah. We are special enough. We yeah. are unique enough. And we are human enough, right? And in that, we're not special at all. So, yeah. you know, get on the, get on the mic. Yeah. Start the podcast. Start your business. Change careers. Leave the relationship or stay in the relationship or whatever it is. Whatever it is your soul is feeling called to. Don't think that you're so special that you don't get to live the best life ever. Yeah. And I think being a model for people out there who maybe have a different perspective or like the naysayers, you need to be an example for them that like anybody can do the things that they want to do. And really you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to even try. It's so funny that you're saying, saying all this and even talking about like differences and using, using different parts of your personality and perspective. It's so funny because I think we all assume different roles in our lives and the relationships that we have, daughter, friend, wife, X, Mm -hmm. Y, or Z. We get so comfortable in that and we step out of it, right? I'm doing a lot of like healing and trauma work. And I actually had a conversation with my mom two weeks ago and, um, we had this really hard conversation, but she was so receptive and that's also growth for anybody. But I was telling her, she's like, I just don't want this X thing to be the reason why you feel this way. And I looked at her and I said, I've always felt this way. I've just never shown you. Like, Mm -hmm. it's always been here. And so the ability to be able to tell yourself yes and feel the things, embody them, and actually show other people, like, those feelings won't ever go away. They will never not be there. So might as well be able to live them out in a way. And like you say, forget the people who, who don't know because who are they to say? that you can't or that they can't because we all can. Yeah. And if you start listening to everybody's opinions, you know, that's also the beauty of life is that we all have different opinions and there is no one way for sure. There's really no one way that I even preach because what I preach is for you to find your way and do it that way. Like find what lights you up and do it that way. That's, that's my main message. But there's a lot of people out there who prescribe certain ways of life because they feel as if that that box kind of creates a sort of sense of control, I suppose. I'm unsure there's very many different things. But I think that if you can understand that people will have opinions, some of it not valid and totally a reflection of their own wounds and traumas and fears and insecurities, and some of it complete constructive criticism, and then you deep dig deep, you find your intuition, you find what you want, and then you act on that, you are your own compass every single time. And if the minute you 
you take a path because of somebody else's wanting is the minute you step away from your personal power. Absolutely. And I think that's why conversations like this in Scout's podcast and kind of surrounding yourselves and curating your feed, curating your books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, that kind of return you back to yourself. You are your own anchor. You're not your husband's, your partner's, your friend, your parent. Oh, like you are your me own while. anchor. Me too. Oh my God. And I feel like I'm still working through it. It's hard. Yeah, it's when you hard. think that other people are responsible for your emotional state, it's a oh. slippery, slippery road. And that you're, and I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I deal with this a lot, that I'm responsible for other people's emotional oh, state. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Oh, that's the codependency shit. I've, you know what, I've done it. It's happened been to there, me so done that. Like, <laughs> not even been there, done that. Sorry, been there in it. I should oh, say yeah. been there in it. <laughs> You know, like two members of my family were having a fight and I, mm. I voice noted my um, my coach and I said, I'm feeling unsafe right now because I want to protect them from blowing up and getting into a fight and having really, really, you know, hurtful things happen to both of them. So I could save it and I could talk to one, talk to the other, be the media, figure it out. Or I could really understand that this is not my journey. This is not my relationship. And that maybe they need to get to this point for things to heal. And so I'm going to trust that the emotional journey is exactly what they're supposed to be walking down. And it is not mine to interfere, even though I feel so unsafe right now. Mm, And uncomfortable, that physical Mm -hmm. uncomfort, right? Or discomfort. Um, My husband always tells me, and he's so solid a lot of the times and so much of like his emotional intuition and like who he is as a person is so just solid and grounded. And I wouldn't consider him like necessarily like woo woo or spiritual in the way that me and you maybe would connect on, but he just kind of does it intuitively. The other Mm -hmm. day I was telling him something, I forgot it was something about our family and he was like, that is not for you to carry. That is not for you to carry. He's like, we're moving on. And it was like such a good reminder. And before where I would like ruminate on that thing because I feel uncomfortable. My therapist always tells me, he's like, there you go, like making it about you again. He's like, sometimes if you're involved in the environment, you're included in the discomfort. It's a very selfish coping mechanism. It's a very selfish. People, you're like, no, I care so much about you. It's It's just because you don't want to feel good. You want to feel good. You don't give a shit about me. Physically better, yeah. You want to feel good, so you're going to change my story so that you can feel good. Once you realize that caring for other people in that sense is just being selfish, you know, it's a whole new narrative that you start dealing with. And then you start being like, wow, like actually doing things for myself isn't selfish, interfering Mm -hmm. in areas that's not, or trying to like manipulate a situation so that the story kind of turns back to you, like is harmful, it's not helpful. And finding new ways to get those needs met, whatever they are, Um, like how you say getting the energy out of your body because there are some things especially for highly sensitive people like energy does matter but does that mean you can walk out of the room does that mean you can remove yourself from the situation does that mean you can shake your body physically listen to some music like center yourself because it doesn't have to do anything with you it's crazy yeah so I was at this is such a me story um it was at my sister's graduation at USC and there were so many people so many people and we had to get there early and the parking and the crowds. And I just mm. was energetically like so overwhelmed. Like, and so like I was about to have a panic attack. And so my grandma pulls me aside. She does Reiki. She oh literally pulls me aside at USC. She's like, stand here. We find like an area that's not crowded. I close my eyes and she just creates with her hands like this energetic 
aura field around me and she's like visualize the field I'm just standing there like closed eyes <laughs> yes. my grandma's raking all over my body and then I just felt more centered I went back and I had that you know I kind of think of it as like this protective shield that I put over myself and it's so funny right because we can do things in our life every single day that kind of help create that boundary emotional physical yes. spiritual and I think Reiki's like such a great modality I've never done it and I'm so interested oh. me and me and my husband are moving up to Fort Worth so I'm already trying to find like integrative holistic doctors up there but it is so interesting because even in just having conversations like even in that conversation I had with my mom even in you reaching out to your coach and asking about these things or saying you have a need I was telling my mom I have a need like that's a way to just like stand in your own power and be like wait I'm gonna pause instead of react and do the thing that's natural for me for me it would be keep it in not say the truth for you would be let me reach out and try to micromanage this so I feel better you're able to come back to your inner knowing being like, wow, again, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation of being like, I'm capable in my emotion. I can handle this. And those things are hard. I don't know. I think that there's this kind of guise right now in wellness. I don't know if you feel this way. Like it just, it's like, everybody's like, what's the, what's the blurb? Like, what's the easy thing? Like, let's just make trauma healing easy. It's like, it's not, it's so much easier to do the other thing. It's so much easier to interfere for you and feel physically better. It's so much easier for me to keep it all in, but that's not the way that it's ever going to feel better later on. You know, yeah, it's it's like the, it's the cheap, it's like the bandaid real quick, but eventually you'll bleed enough where you have to take care of either a bigger problem or a decent problem in the present. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of curious as we kind of move into, because I would love to talk about your book. I started reading it. It's so, so good. And it's so approachable. Like it really, really is. And it feels like I'm talking to a friend. It's not high level. It's very, very easy to understand and hear where you're coming from and hear your voice in it. Um, but would you say that a lot of your healing that you felt as you're kind of moving into like you're feeling strong, you're feeling confident, you're feeling creative this week, um, and you're kind of still working on that physical embodiment, do you feel like a lot of it's come from that spiritual um, path and awakening you've had this past year? Yeah, 100%. You know, I went through a different type of healing iteration uh, this year, and I really do attribute it a hundred percent to God, spirituality, um, it, tapping into more of my spiritual energetic side. It is a hundred percent that. Um, I always would look at the people who won Oscars and they thanked God, and they'd be like, "I don't get why they're thanking God. They did that." Um, but it wasn't until I introduced or you know started developing a relationship with God that I felt so incredibly strong you know people I say people look for the fountain of youth I think that spirituality provides you with the fountain of strength Mm -hmm. and when I say God you can you know universe spirit energy it's a religious affiliation but my relationship with God is the thing that when I can't coach myself through something and when it's too big a burden to bear when the emotions feel heavy and overwhelming it's straight to my knees praying and every single time I do I feel heard supported, held, dead, stronger, calmer, at peace. It is this incredible rock that is available for all of us. Call it your soul, call it spirit, whatever you want to call it. But it has single-handedly allowed me to heal in ways that is so, so extraordinary. And I've been in the healing game since I was 15. 
and I'm approaching 30. So last year when I started this, I was 28. And it is the it was the missing puzzle piece because entrepreneurship allowed me to function in a framework of society that I was unable to function in earlier on in my mental illness. And so I was functioning, but inside I was still unhealthy. There were still toxic negative patterns. I was still relying on my husband too much for emotional stability. And the minute I introduced spirituality really was the game changer that then allowed me to be clear and write the emotional entrepreneur. While this book is not a spiritual book, you know, every now and then I'll mention the universe, et cetera. It's really not a spiritual book. Um, I believe that my spirituality gave me the foundation that these lessons could pour out of me. I always say I like directly channeled it. It was the easiest book to write. I wrote it in like a month and a half, maybe two months. I don't know. It was very, very quick. Um, and so, yes, the short answer is yes. Spirituality, relationship with God has completely transformed my healing journey into the safest, most meaningful experience I could ever have. You know, I was thinking in the car, I cry so much. I'm yeah. always crying. But I'm crying now because life is so magical. Like, I just look around and I am I'm floored. I'm awe. I'm in awe. I am humbled by the surroundings, by this world that we live in by that it was created, by that there's a galaxy out there, that the tree just grows because it knows how to. I'm so in wonderment this life. Every time I feel an emotion, it's it's this feeling of I'm alive. And it's just meaningful. The tough shit, the good shit, all of it. It's the most insanely rich experience and I'm here for it unconditionally all of it all Mm -hmm. of it and in all of it I see God every single time oh I love that I I did not expect that answer to go that way and I love that I think and I'm sure you've experienced this podcasting all the time you're always so like beautifully surprised whenever you're having such a good conversation not every conversation is like this but I love whenever you kind of show up to a conversation waiting to be surprised and that was that moment for me because it's so true we're so fortunate to kind of live in a world where God does exist God's source whatever you may call it um but there's so much beauty in the especially like the mundane the mundane Mm. most small tiny moments like right now my beautiful dog and I'm seeing your dog too is just like sleeping right there and he's just like the cutest most Mm. precious thing and I think whenever you get again kind of going back again to that inner knowing and that inner working that inner confidence you really start recognizing the beauty that you are and the beauty that is others and everything else and you can Mm -hmm. kind of start seeing the world in amazement I love that I think that's so beautiful um whenever I was reading the emotion when as I'm reading I love that you broke down it into lessons like your kind of life lessons and again I think people have a good idea of what type of love and I think like information's in the book just in that last answer like you probably wrote this in every fiber of your being with feeling so much gratitude that you're in this position to be able to do this to spend two and Mm -hmm. a half months pouring out your soul in a way that just felt so easy and in flow for you so I hope that gets people excited to hopefully check out the book as well but you have all these really great lessons I think I'm on the first I think I'm on the second lesson, but I'm just kind of curious, like, why did you decide to structure it that way? 
what made it kind of come out that way and then also what is your favorite I'm sure you love all of them but what has been the most beneficial to your practice maybe is a better way to put it yeah so um the reason it's written so for those that don't know it's basically the emotional guidebook to entrepreneurship whether you're starting a podcast whether you're starting an agency, a product-based business, whatever it might be. I run Scout's agency, my own agency, and really found that the reason I've been successful in entrepreneurship is because it goes up and down, highs, highs, lows, lows, just like my bipolar disorder. So (laughs) my ability to stay in the game as an entrepreneur was because I understand intense emotions and I now know how to navigate them. And so I would see so many women either not getting into the game or struggling through the game because of the emotional aspect of entrepreneurship. They are surprised how emotional it is, how much it will like highlight your weaknesses and your zone of genius at the same time. And so I wanted to kind of bridge the gap between my two worlds, which is living with bipolar disorder and being an entrepreneur. And the reason I did 25 main emotional lessons for those who are looking to pursue their dreams, you can, you know, substitute the word entrepreneur for like the career of your dreams. Many of the lessons will still apply. Um, was, you know, in an honest answer, I've been writing ever since I was young. That was kind of my first goal in life. And I am not good at writing long things. I can never write long chapters. I'm a flash kind of nonfiction kind of girl. And so when I wrote this book, I, you know, I'm sure I'll challenge myself later with my second or third book, but I needed something that was digestible because I just get my point across really quickly when I write. And I, I don't, I don't know how to write past a few pages per point. So I was like, okay, let me, let me, let me write in my natural way that I write. And so writing 25 shorter chapters was something that felt better to me. It felt more in my wheelhouse. It felt more, you know, it lit me up more than writing 10 long chapters. So this book is really kind of step Step one, it's the introduction to emotion, emotional landscape within entrepreneurship. And I'm sure that I will dive deeper in my, you know, future books into more one thing per se. Um, but my favorite concept in the book is that uh, getting your ROI on pain, which I don't know if you've gotten there. I think it's, I think it's chapter two or three. Um, it's essentially the fact that we will all go through pain. We will all go through uncomfortable moments in our lives but are you getting the ROI on yours? So, you know, the business owner and someone who works at the law firm can both have anxiety, which Mm -hmm. is a story in my book. I tell a story that my friend called me. She's working a job. She had so much anxiety walking through the door because this one task of her job just gave her so much anxiety that she had to be on medication. She felt stuck. She didn't like her job and she didn't know how to get out, et cetera. I was like, that's interesting because I feel intense anxiety today but it's because I'm waiting to hear back from a client about this big project I did. And I said, okay, well, we're both feeling pretty intense anxiety, but yours is making you stagnant and potentially even regressing you in your career. Mm -hmm. Mine is propelling me forward. So if we can accept the fact that we will all deal with uncomfortable emotions, similar to our conversation earlier, do you want to put the bandaid on or do you want to rip it off and get to it? Are your uncomfortable emotions helping you grow challenging you, moving your future forward, or are they keeping you stagnant or regressing you backwards? If we can accept that even when you live your purpose, even when you're chasing alignment, even when you know you're supposed to do something, there will still come moments of uncomfortable, discomfort. There will still come painful, painful moments. 
but are those moments propelling you forward? That's how I like to judge my life now. Like launching this book has taken a lot out of me, a lot of breakdowns, a lot of crying. But every time I cry, I know my ROI. Like I know the ROI here. So I think it was more simple for me to put it into business terms for those who are like, what the fuck is ROI? It's return on investment. (laughs) It was easier for me to put that into business terms to think about, you know, am I mindlessly, aimlessly, pointlessly suffering here or am I growing? And these are growing pains. There's a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great lesson. And I actually just perused that one today. I haven't read it. And I was like, that's so interesting. And it's so true. And again, for those of us that feel so deeply, it's like, okay, what is this deep emotion doing tomorrow? You know what I mean? Is it pushing you? Is it putting you into gear? Is it stretching you? My therapist used that word a lot too. He's like, the word growth is so um, overdone. And like the work, he's like, I like the word stretching. Like, are you stretching into the person that you think you can be or that you want to be? He's like, because you can always make a choice to do that. And it may cause discomfort. It may cause Mm -hmm. pain. He's like, but if you feel like you're doing it and it's in alignment for you, he's like, it's okay. Hard things are uncomfortable and it's okay. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. And also too, to your point, I think you have another lesson in there. It's like your anxiety is telling you something Mm -hmm. where it's keeping you safe. And it's the same thing with your friend. Like, what is that emotion that's keeping you stagnant? That is data. That is information to tell you, is it your boss? Is it the task you're doing? Is there any way you can offload that to someone else? Mm -hmm. So whether you're stagnant, it doesn't mean stop it completely, quit your job. Like that's not what, that's not at all what that means, but it's information back to yourself of like, well, why? Like get curious if it's not pushing you forward, getting curious about why it is you're feeling that thing so that you can then address it and move forward. Yes, and I'm proud to report this happened once I was done writing the book that she identified the one task of her job that gave her that anxiety and she worked out a deal with her boss that she no longer does that one thing and work has been significantly better. That's amazing. And, you know, she probably, whether she's on medication or not, I mean, that's everybody's personal preference and whether you want to or not, it's good for a lot of people. But, I mean, that's incredible that she was able to take that piece of data and instead of just dealing with it, which so many of us do, we just deal and then mm-hmm. we're suffering instead of changing and evolving and yep. stretching. Um, so I love that. Um, I guess the last couple of questions before we end up into rapid fire, because I know that we are a little bit over time and I want to be mindful of your time is, I guess, what is one like big thing you would like people to kind of take from this conversation um, that we just had today? I think the main thing in, in, in everything I do is is just to empower people to know that they are safe in their emotions and that if they tap into them, heal them, become friends with them, reframe their relationship with them, they can actually use them as eloquently as you put data for their life to improve, to really get into alignment, to follow your soul's purpose, etc. Emotions are not the enemies. They are actually our guides, our mentors, our friends, our gatekeepers, our security system. And that within them, you can find complete safety and alignment once you reframe your relationship with them. Love that. So good. Um, Do you have some time for a little bit of rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. Talking or texting? Texting. Well, friends who? Oh, (laughs) I like that. No, no, no. I I don't want to fucking... You you talk to me later. I'll text you. Okay. (laughs) Favorite thing to order at a restaurant? Anything like umami flavored. Like I love ramen. 
Oh, so good. My husband loves ramen too. Mm-hmm. Okay, favorite day of the week? Monday. Monday. Something ordinary that makes you incredibly happy? Standing outside on the grass with no shoes on. I literally just put that today in my little like morning reminders for people as I get out into sunshine. It'll help you return back to your physical body. Yep. So good. Okay, one thing you're grateful for right now? Right now, I'm really, really grateful that I'm on this podcast. I really oh. am. Oh, that makes me and so it's, happy. It's a really great conversation. And I just, Thank you. It's cool that it's cool that I get to do this and have conversations like this with with other women. It's 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 pretty special. Yeah, I agree. This isn't meant to be rapid fire and you can take it however you want, but I like to ask every single guest that comes on the podcast this question. Um, how do you think we as humans are more like than we are different? This is going to sound weird. It's the first thing that came to mind, but I think that we all struggle with the same things. That we all struggle with the same emotions, fear, insecurities, doubt, anxiety, you know, existential worry. I think that we're a lot more alike in our discomfort, in our pain than we think we are. And that's the whole reason why I started this podcast is like mm. there, I, there's not to ignore that the differences in our lives and the differences of who we are and our experiences are what truly make us beautiful. But I think when we kind of lift the veil and actually realize that we're all humans just trying to float through life together on this like giant rock in the middle of the galaxy, like we're yeah. able to really truly honor and feel happy that or understand the differences more once we realize we're more alike than Amen. we really think. I love that. Well, Scout, I would love for you to plug everything. And I've already put everything in the description so people can easily link and find you. Um, But I would love for you to plug yourself. Where can people find you if they want your services for your agency? Okay, sis, Scout's podcast, your personal IG, whatever. I would love for people. How can they get to know you a little bit more than they did today? Yes. So you can buy my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur on Amazon. Um, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes, et cetera, but you can just go to Amazon and type in either the emotional entrepreneur or Scout Sobel. If you want to follow me along on Instagram, it's at Scout Sobel. And in my bio there, you can find everything else from Scout's agency, which is my peer agency. We specialize in getting women as guests on podcasts, as well as some traditional stuff and booking high profile guests. If you have a podcast and okay, sis, it's in the link in bio at okay, sis podcast on Instagram and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed more of the mental health entrepreneurship stuff, I do ramble solo on Scout Podcast, Sam's Madeline Rose Mayo, so just me. <laughs> um, but really the hub of everything, my email, DM, all of the shit I do is in my Instagram, at Scout Sobel. Perfect. And Scout, happy launch week for your book. I'm wishing you all the world of success on this, and I cannot wait to see you as you keep embarking on your journey the journey thank of you, right yes thank you so much for thank having you. me thank you yeah i appreciate it